Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church. Thank you, Chicky, my new assistant. Sarah's retiring. And we're going to be finishing up Revelation chapter 1 today. Revelation chapter 1. And this is, I want to finish it up. It might take a little longer to finish it up, but if you need to pause the button, come back to it, do whatever you need to do. But I want to really, I wanted to finish up this chapter titled John's Vision, a picture of the resurrected Jesus. Revelation 1, 9 to 21. We're going to see what Jesus, we're going to see what Jesus looks like and, uh, we know, and also really in a way, what God looks like because Jesus is God. A lot of we don't really know what God looks like. Uh, there was a, a funny joke I remember hearing. I don't know if it's true or not, but it was funny and I remembered it. There was a little kid in Sunday school drawing a picture of God, and the teacher came by and said, "Johnny, what are you drawing a picture of?" And he's got his down there drawing. He said, "I'm drawing a picture of God," and the teacher said. But Johnny, you can't draw a picture of God. Nobody knows what he looks like. We don't know what he looks like. And he said, they, we will in a minute. <laughs> and, uh, if you, but if we really want to know what God looks like, we won't look at Johnny's picture. We have to look at Jesus Christ. John 14.9, I and the Father are one. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, John 14.9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one or a different passage in John. But he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. But not... But not Jesus is not described in the Gospels. Our only images come from movies or pictures that are drawn. I remember when I was a kid, my parents had over the mantle, they had a picture of Jesus. And it was the craziest picture of Jesus because the eyes would follow you. Wherever you went in the room, we would go. Wherever we went in the room, the eyes would follow us. And we're like, that's because Jesus could see us wherever we are. And it was one of those pictures that the eyes, wherever you went, they followed you. It was crazy. But most pictures of Jesus, he's... he's uh, He's carrying a lamb, or he's got children on his lap. There's this nice, cuddly uh, Jesus that we usually picture with Jesus. But John, uh, John here gives us the vision in Revelation chapter one. He gives us the real picture of Jesus Christ, what he looks like right now, the glorified Jesus. That's going to surprise us. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for the book of Revelation. We thank you that we know what's going to happen as the the, the planet earth nears its complete completion we thank you that you have given us assurances and and nothing surprises us because all the crazy things happen are already outlined for us right here lord we just thank you for that i pray that we would live by faith and if anybody has never put their faith in jesus they would do that today i pray it in jesus name amen okay so Quick review, we saw at the beginning of chapter 1, we saw how to be really happy, the blessing. We saw God's amazing love. We saw the second coming of Jesus Christ. And today we see that John jumps to the future and into the vision of the end times. And let's pick it up with verse 9 here. In verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches to in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, 
Philadelphia and Laodicea. So, we see that John, he says, your brother and companion in three things here. The first thing is in suffering. Remember, we talked about how 11 out of the 12 apostles were martyred. Many, many Christians were martyred. John was almost martyred. He was boiled in oil and now he's on a prison island. He says, so your companion in suffering Christians in John's time and even today, know what suffering is all about. Your brother in the kingdom too, the kingdom. John 3.3, 3, in John 3.3, 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, he said, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Born again. How do we enter God's kingdom? How do we become a, a, a companion, a brother in the kingdom? By being born again. Every one of us must be born again. There has to be a time in our life <coughs> where we put our faith in Jesus and repent of our sin and give our life to Him. There has to be that time. A little further on, Jesus says, you must, don't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. We have to be born again. Don't let the TV crazies, uh, the name it, claim it, health, wealth, blab, grab guys deter you. Don't let the guy in the purple hair in the end zone uh, throw you off. You must be born again. There's no such thing as a Christian who hasn't been born again. You must be born again. Have you been born again? Wait till the end. We're going to talk about that. And then he says also, not just suffering in kingdom, but patient endurance. The Greek here for patient endurance is not passive, but active. It's active. It's not stoic. It's not resigned. It's not, what's the use? Live in despair. What's going to happen? But it's like being in a war and you're wounded, but you keep fighting. You're going through hardships and you keep enduring and, and fighting back because we know we're going to win. Someone in the war, if... If you're on the winning side, we know we're on the winning side. We keep on fighting. We keep on fighting. It's active, patient endurance. John's life. John's life. He was exiled. He was living in exile here. We know that the Romans, before they exiled a prisoner, they scourged them. They whipped them, beat them. Surprised he could even endure it. He's almost 90 now. He goes through that beating. He goes on the ship ride. He ends up in the mines, working in the mines. They hoped that the labor and the lack of food would kill them, which is what it did usually. But John, mm-mm. Wasn't God's time yet. He says, but John's life, he patiently endured. He said, these things, suffering, the kingdom, patient endurance, ours in Christ. Our salvation and suffering are ours in Christ. Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. We are granted faith, and the ability to go through the suffering. That they go together for it has been granted you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. Now, he's on the island of Patmos. Back to uh, Romans 1 here. He's on the island of Patmos. From 94 to 96 A.D., he was on the island. Um, finally, he was released in 96 A.D. by the new emperor. A new emperor came in. It was a prison island. Think of Papillon. The movie Papillon is a prison island. It was a volcanic island, 10 miles long by 5 miles wide. We have a picture here. Uh, we'll have the picture put up on this side, but I'm going to look this way. You have a picture of this island. You can see this volcanic <coughs> island. You can also see the cave, a picture of the cave now, uh, where John was in writing the book of Revelation, where he was, was there. And also, we see the map. You can look at the map there, and you can see the star, the red star for Patmos. It's over here for you. The red star for Patmos, right there, right near uh, Ephesus. It was right near Ephesus. It was right off the coast from 
Ephesus. It was the first stop on the way from the province of Asia to Rome. And that was the first stop was here at Patmos. And on coming back, it was the last safe haven before you got back to Ephesus. It was that safe haven, a safe spot, last safe haven on the trip back. Lots of shipwrecks at that time. Uh, and he says he was there because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. There because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. If we believe and live out the Word, if we share the Gospel of Jesus Christ, if we witness to that, you can expect the same thing that John, he says, because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, we can expect that same suffering, the same kingdom, and the same patient endurance. We can expect that. If, 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 if Second Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a fact. If we are living in Jesus Christ, we will be persecuted. Some of you might be thinking, but, but I've never been persecuted. That should make you nervous. Because the fact is, if you are living for Christ, you will face persecution. Different levels, but it will, there will be persecution. Persecution. I uh, was reading that too long ago about William Tyndale. William Tyndale lived in England in the 1500s. At the time of William Tyndale, seven people were burned at the stake for teaching their children the Lord's Prayer and Ten Commandments in the English language. It was illegal. <laughs> oh, the church that had taken over would not allow them to teach their children in English and so they could understand the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments. They weren't allowed to read the Bible in English or they were burned at the stake. Uh, he was a, uh, it was illegal to own a Bible in English because you weren't allowed to know what it said. Only certain, you know, the, 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 the religious leaders could tell you what it said. Connect the dots. Uh, Tyndale was a preacher and a Bible translator and he escaped to Germany to publish the New Testament New Testament in English. It was safer there. And he smuggled thousands, he came up with the Tyndale Bible, he smuggled thousands of New Testaments into England in bales of cotton. He was, uh, was a hunted man. He was finally tricked by a spy into, uh, uh, in Belgium, he was tricked by a spy and, and caught and put in prison for what? Letting the people read the Bible in their own language. Oh, they, the, the church did not like that. The church that was, was had a stranglehold on, on Europe at that time did not like that. Connect the dots. Uh, and so then, um, in October 6, 1536, he was taken from his dungeon, strangled, and his body was burned. His last words were, Lord, Open the king of England's eyes. A few years later, the common folk in England finally had access to the Bible. Why? In their own language. Why? Because 90% of the Tyndale Bible was used to create the King James Bible. Amazing. That's the legacy that if we want to, that's, a, that's ours in Christ. That's the legacy that we have because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Contrast that with, with the, the super Christians in the USA today. The, the preacher of America, Joel Olstein, who, who was asked on, um, I think it was Larry King, I remember watching the video years ago, asked on Larry King, uh, do you think Jesus is the only way? And I'll never forget Joel Olstein said, I can't say. 
I can't say. You know why he's so popular? Because he can't say. Well, Jesus did say very clearly, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is one way. And if we teach that and preach that and live that out and share that in the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will be persecuted. That's why Joel's so popular. But the ones who, who preach the truth are not in this culture, in our society, because it's not popular. It's never been popular to preach the truth of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Verse 10, he says, on the, in the Lord's day, he says, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So he's on the Lord's day, which was Sunday. You see, what happened? The early church met in synagogues. The Christians met in synagogues. But they couldn't meet on the Sabbath, which was the Saturday. Uh, they couldn't meet there because uh, they weren't allowed. They were considered heretics, right? So they met the next day, which was the first day of the week, and they called that the Lord's Day. Because also it was the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the Lord's Day, Sunday. Also, the Romans recognized one day a week as the Emperor's Day. But the Christians celebrated the one true king and they chose Sunday as that day. Now, but what about the Sabbath? There was a meeting on Sunday. What about the Sabbath? The Christians are not under the law. We don't have to meet on Saturday, on the Sabbath. We don't have to do that. But recognizing and keeping the Sabbath is very important. We don't have to keep Saturday, but keeping the Sabbath is very biblical. That's never been... It was before the law. That was after the law. Uh, we are still com, uh, commanded to keep a Sabbath. It's vital, biblical and vital that we keep a day a week. It could be Sunday. could be Saturday. could be any day. I take Mondays. That's my day off. When people don't call me, hint, hint. But anyway, uh, the, the, uh, that we are to keep a Sabbath but it could be any day of the week. But anyway, Lord's Day. It was on a Sunday. He was in the Spirit. This was a vision. He was transported into heaven, into the future. Remember that movie Jumper some years ago? The guy could jump from here to there. He somehow had this power to just think it and do it. And, and that's what John was doing. But uh, the Holy Spirit was jumping him, bringing him along. And he heard a voice like a trumpet here. In uh, verse 12, we know that's Jesus Christ. It's loud. It gets his attention. He couldn't miss it. I know when we were kids, my dad had on our car an, an ooga horn. I go, ooga! And, and we would drive up and drive into somewhere and, and there would be someone we know stand there and he would hit the ooga horn or something we didn't know. Hit the ooga horn. People would all jump and look back and scare him. And that's what but then we all got him on our own cars. He gave him to us for our birthday. Anyway, we had lots of fun with the Ugo horn. But that, this is the same idea. It's like This gets his attention. Verse 11, it says, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Seven churches. We're going to study that more as we get into chapters 2 and 3. Prophetically picked. Now, we talked about that. There were many other churches, but these seven are picked prophetically to represent different stages of the church age, different types of churches. Some of these churches are in all of our churches today and each of us as individuals. Next, we see that John turns around to see who is talking to him. In verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a long golden sash around his chest. So, we see that Jesus, we know this, we're going to see this is Jesus standing among the seven golden lampstands. Uh, it's interesting that in heaven there's these seven golden lampstands because we find the same thing in Exodus 
25. Verse 31, make a lamp stand of pure gold and hammer it out, base and shaft, it's flower-like cups, buds, blossoms, blah, blah, blah. Verse uh, 37, just more detail on that. Verse 37, then make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they may light the space in front of it. Talking about in the tabernacle, ended up also in the temple, the, the seven lamps, the seven lamps. The tabernacle was an earthly picture of what a reality was in heaven. What you see in the tabernacle and in the temple, it's a picture of God's temple in heaven and what's going on in heaven. And it's also... Uh, we see in this, uh, in heaven, we see that Jesus is the high priest, just like the tabernacle had a high priest. In heaven, Jesus is the high priest. What are the seven golden lampstands? What are the seven golden lampstands? Revelation 1 tells us down in verse 19, Write therefore what you have seen and what now is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the, are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So they are prophetically the represent the seven lamps are seven churches prophetically represent the church of Jesus Christ. We, those in the church, are you in, if you're in the church, you put your faith in Jesus, you're in a church, we are the lampstand. We are the lampstand. Notice it doesn't say we are the candle or the, the fire or the light. We're not that. No, the Holy Spirit is the fire. Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit, tongues of fire. The Jesus is the light. He's the light. Jesus eight twelve. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light. But we are the lampstands. We carry the light. And Matthew five fourteen, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot... Well, I'm going to read it. Uh, city and a hill cannot be hidden, I think. Uh, here we are. You are the light of the world. A city and a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. A city and a hill cannot be hidden. The you in the, in, in, uh, the Greek is you, 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 you. It's emphatic. And he says, you're a city and a hill. When uh, that's the picture, we, we carry the light. We, 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 not, we are not the light. Jesus is the light, but we carry the light. We are the lamp stands. And when people see us up on the hill, they see that city on a hill, that tells them where to go to. That tells them where to go. When they would travel at night during this time in the Old Testament, you'll see what just fell over in a minute. That's one of my props for later. Anyway, uh, the, the city on a hill, when they would travel at night, there were no street lights in New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament times. There were no street lights. There were just these cities up on hills. They were that way we dig them, dig into them now. We call them tells, archaeologists. And they told people where to go. They would see this city on a hill and they would know where to go. That's how they knew. And Jesus says, you're that, you're that city on a hill. With his light, we carry his light and we're that city on the hill. I remember when, um, I remember one time when Kim and I had first got married, we were driving back from Chicago back to my home near Niagara Falls. And we were going through Canada. We were on the Queen E Highway. And I remember it was after midnight. We had just finished our exams and we were going to try to get home. And we knew it would be like 2 in the morning or something. But, but we just wanted to get home and get it done. We could sleep in the next day. So we're driving to my, my parents' farm and we're on the Queenie. And she's really tired. I said, Kim, just go to sleep. I've driven this a thousand times. I know how to get back from, you know, I used to go to school in Michigan. I know how to get back from Chicago. So we're, we're driving and she fell asleep. And she fell asleep around midnight. And I'm driving and daydreaming and driving and daydreaming and um, 
And I'm just looking. I'm really looking for the lights of Niagara Falls. But it seemed like it was taking a little longer than usual. But I'm just in daydream. If you know me, I daydream a lot. And I'm just daydreaming, mile after mile. And finally, <clears throat> finally, I see the signs. Toronto. Toronto. I missed the exit and I went past Niagara Falls and went to Toronto. And I was like, oh no. And Kim woke up. She woke up and said, what's the matter? What's the matter? What's the matter? She's like, well, you know how you always wanted to see Toronto? You kept saying how you wish you could see Toronto. I thought I'd surprise you. Here we are. <laughs> she was not amused. Uh, she never took a nap again. And no matter where we drove, she has never fallen asleep in a car again with me. Because she knows I daydream. She doesn't know where we'll end up. And uh, But we kept on driving four in the morning. We finally saw the lights of of. Uh, of Niagara Falls. Uh, so we got in a little later than we wanted to. But people are desperately looking for that light on the hill. They're looking for us carrying Jesus Christ. The world really is lost. Not just out of the way, but really is lost. But we give people direction. We, we, we show them where to go. But too many of us are hiding our lights. Too many of us are letting our light get dim. We let our batteries get low. Or part of the problem is we think in terms of electricity. Electricity has an on and off switch. But with fire and a candle, there's no on and off. The, the, our, our light comes from fire. You can't turn it on and off. It always burns. And it is powerful. Fire light is, is powerful and penetrating. Did you know that you can see a, a small candle with a, a fire? You can, on a clear, dark night, that candle lit on a clear, dark night, you can see it from 30 miles away. One candle, 30 miles. That's what fire does. No, but listen, we are that. We are carrying the light of Jesus Christ. We are carrying His fire. We are carrying His light. We are the candlestick holders. No matter how bad it gets in the USA, no matter how bad it gets in the book of Revelation as we live this time of Revelation, we have the same job. doesn't change our job. We are the light. And the darkness, it's very dark in the USA today. I think we all agree on that. That darkness actually gives us a chance to burn brighter, to, to shine brighter, to show that light even brighter. The darker it gets, the brighter that we should shine the light of Jesus Christ. Are we doing that? Are we shining that light? Are we doing that? Then he goes on to say, he goes on to say in verses 12 to 13, now we're going to see what Jesus looks like. Verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet. Down to his feet. Um, like a son of man. One like a son of man. Where do we hear that before? Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14. Chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. That was the messianic term that the Jews used for the Messiah. And Jesus used it for himself. That was his favorite term to describe himself in the Gospels. And he also not only claimed to be the Son of Man, but he also claimed to be the Son of God. And that's our focus in the book of Revelation. But it's a Messianic term. It means the, the, the Messiah. It means God's Son. We, we saw in Daniel chapter 7 how the Son of Man was led into God's presence. He was his Son. Uh, he was deity. Verses, keep going here in verse 13, what he looks like. Um, like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet 
were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed... Uh, we'll stop right there. We'll come back to that one in just a minute. So, we see a picture of Jesus Christ. This is a picture of the resurrected Jesus Christ. It's also a picture of our relationship to Him. We're going to see it's not just a picture of Him, but our relationship to Him and a relationship to the world. We're going to see judgment here. The Holy Spirit has a purpose in this picture and everything in this picture. And we're going to see seven things about Jesus here. First of all, He's in a robe and a sash. This is significant because this is exactly what the Old Testament high priest wore. Uh, Josephus, talking about the high priest, said he wore a long robe reaching to his feet. Mm -hmm. In Exodus 28.4 28.4 and 29.5, which in the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, which is the Septuagint, the same word was used here as is used here in, in Revelation 1. It means reaching down to the feet, uh, poderes. Uh, the holy, this is a picture of, of the high priest and Jesus is our high priest. He, the high priest was a mediator between God and and men. He would enter the Holy of Holies with the blood of the Lamb, which was the blood of the atonement. In Hebrews 4.14, we say, therefore, we see that it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive grace and uh, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need so we're we're told to, to Jesus is that high priest and the 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 blood of the atonement is his very own blood that he has shed and he has come brings us into God's presence he is our our mediator now he has cleared the way his blood is the atonement that's why the curtain was torn in the temple when after his his crucifixion the way has been cleared we can come right into God's presence through Jesus Christ. We don't need a mediator anymore. We don't... Listen, some of you grew up praying through Mary or through a saint or through a priest. We don't need anybody anymore. There is one mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. We know He's the God-man Jesus Christ. He's made a way. We can all go to God the Father anytime just through Jesus Christ. And Jesus saying we can come anytime. Can you do that? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Is He become your high priest, your mediator between Him and His Father, uh, God? Have you done that? And if, as Christians, are we doing that? Are we coming, approaching the throne of grace for mercy and grace on a daily basis? Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Do we realize the, the tremendous gift that we have? Now we know what He's wearing. Now let's look what He, let's see what He looks like here in verse 14. His head, and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. He had hair that was incredibly white, white like wool, white like snow. White is a picture of, of purity. It's a picture of eternity. It's a picture of divinity. Daniel 7, 9, remember the Ancient of Days, the white uh, hair. Also, it's a picture of wisdom. He didn't dye his hair. It was a picture of wisdom. The British, there's a reason why the British judges wore these white wigs. It was a picture of, of judgment and wisdom. Uh, it was white like wool, white as snow. Also reminds us of of uh, Isaiah 1, 8 to 9, 
eight, uh, 1.18, I'm sorry, uh, i got to remember here, reminds us of Isaiah 1.18 where it says, oh, there it is, okay, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And that's what, it's a picture of, of, of purity, of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it's also a picture of suffering. Uh, suffering can also whiten hair. There was a story, I remember, from World War II, a little boy who, who, uh, who his parents were being hunted by the Nazis. I think he was a Jewish boy. He was being hunted by the Nazis. And they caught the little boy and he said, where are your parents? He wouldn't tell them. And they took the little boy and they nailed him to a cross. And they put him up on this cross and left him there as a warning to anybody else who wouldn't give away information. And they left. The parents came out of hiding and found the little boy. And they saved him. He lived, but his hair was white as snow. Suffering turns the hair white. And we know that's what Jesus did for us. He suffered for us. Uh, it, not only does he have white hair, but his eyes of fire. The Greek actually says eyes shot fire. Think of the superheroes or Superman where you should shoot the, the, the lasers out. That's a, the picture of there. And this is a picture of judgment. It's penetrating. Nothing can hide. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any a double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It penetrates the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Every, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Nothing is hidden. He can penetrate anything. He can see everything. God sees, God sees everything. And He will discipline. He will, he will judge everything. If we cheat with steroids in our sports, He's going to see it. If we cheat at all, He sees it. If we're unfaithful, He sees it. If every thought we think, He sees it. A lot of times we think we're going to get away with something. Uh-uh. No, no. God sees it all. God sees it all. Is there anything in our life that we think God doesn't care about, that He won't act on? His eyes are fire. He sees it. He hates sin. He will deal with it in His time. In his time, either here or there, it's going to be dealt with. Verse 15, it also says here, His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Uh, bronze feet, it's a, with a furnace, the refiner's fire, the refiner's fire also reminds us of the brazen altar, the bronze altar where sin was dealt with, and that's also a type of the cross. That's what happened on the cross. Sin was dealt with. It also says about the uh, rushing, um, let's see here, the sound of rushing water. His voice was like rushing water. That's the fifth thing we know about Jesus here. Remember, he's on an island and there's lots of storms swooping over this island of Patmos and he's using that same picture, the, uh, the storms and the water hammering away at the shore. I grew up near Niagara Falls and I remember being on the Maid of the Mist and still sometimes we'll take the kids on the Maid of the Mist and boy, you ride that right to the base of Niagara Falls, that boat, you're right near the bottom. The water's just pounding down. It's Awesome. It's irresistible. It's overpowering. And that is a picture of Jesus' voice. Right now, the world is doing everything it can to drown out the name of Jesus Christ, the voice of Jesus Christ, trying to drown out His voice. There are many competing voices. We see them in our culture today. Antifa and the rioters and the politicians, Antichrist going against the things that Jesus 
taught and says, celebrities mocking the voice of Jesus Christ. We see it in our, the attacks in our own life with, with money and sexual sin and science and philosophy and pleasures and sensualism trying to drown out the voice of Jesus Christ. But the day will come when Jesus Christ will silence every voice. Every voice. It reminds me of Narnia when, with Aslan's roar, when all of a sudden he just lets out his roar and everybody's like, done. And that's a picture of this. And then in verse 16, there's two more things we see about Jesus. Verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of his brilliance. So out of his mouth comes a sword. Now we know, we've talked about swords before. We saw how in, in Ephesians in Ephesians 6, how he says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6 is really a dagger. It's the dagger that the Roman soldiers would use. I have lots of swords and, and daggers. Thank you, Gunnar Kiermeyer. He's given me many over the years and I show them off whenever I can. I, I use them whenever I can. So I, today's the day. And the, the, the sword there in Ephesians 6 when it says take, up, take the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God was a dagger that the Romans had at the belt and they would use it at the fight in close. That's the picture. But that's not the word used here in this passage. The word used here in this passage is the Greek means the double-edged sword. In the Greek language, the double-edged sword that the Romans used to kill it. Not in close fighting, but just a sweeping sword. And that's what you heard crash earlier. I'll just go get it here. <clears throat> it fell over. And I have one of these right here. I hope you can see the whole thing on the video. This is a double-edged sword. And, and they would take this as what you see on the movies, you know. Um, Lord of the Rings, you know. Strider fighting the orcs, you know. And it's the double-edged sword. And it was a sweeping sword. This is the killing sword. This is the, the, the sword they used to really uh, uh, fight and kill with. The main sword for killing. And that is the picture that the Holy Spirit uses here. It's, it's the, coming out of His mouth. It's the spoken word is that kind of sword. Jesus used the spoken word to create the earth and all of us, but he's also going to use it to destroy those who don't follow him and the earth, when, what's left of the earth. And it's powerful, powerful. Once again, Hebrews 4.12, where it says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. When we hear the Word of God, it cuts the heart. It's convicting. And we will either turn to God or we'll get mad and turn away. That the Holy Spirit is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit uses the Word in a convicting way. And it, we either are cut to the heart and convicted and turn to God on our knees or we get angry and vicious and turn against Him. And we're seeing so much of this. We're seeing some of these rioters today attacking, you know, burning Bibles and, and, and burning churches. I'm going to talk about peaceful protesters. I'm separating them. I'm talking about the rioters that, uh, that have not they don't care about anybody. They're just rioting to riot. They're just trying to destroy. But it's, it's amazing to see the response to burning Bibles and burning churches. And you talk to these people and you have a, try to have a conversation. You bring Jesus up and it's like you poured scalding water on them. They hate Jesus. We're seeing that more and more in our society in the USA today. We're seeing that more and more. And that's what the Word of God does. It either convicts and we break or we get angry and turn against it. And if we turn against it, it's going to be the judgment. It's going to be our judgment. It 
also says, the last thing it says about Jesus is his face was like the sun. It was incredibly bright. Uh, in Matthew 17, 1-7, John, for the first time, saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. It, not, but he wasn't resurrected, but he saw the glor- I should say, the glorified Jesus Christ. He wasn't resurrected yet. But he saw what he was going to look like in his, in, his, in his resurrected state because he, was the, he showed in his, all of his glory. And that was at the transfiguration. He saw Jesus, what he really looks like. And he, he saw him and he said his face shone like the sun. Brilliant, bright. Paul, the, Saul, who became the apostle Paul, when he saw the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, it blinded him. Hebrews 1.3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory. The radiance of God's glory. That's why we can't see God. I always have to just see God. We can't see the holy God because of sin damage. Our pupils, you know, imagine staring into the sun with your pupils stuck open, what that would do to your eyeballs, right? And that's, <clears throat> that's a picture of what seeing God would be like for, with our sinful eyes because of sin. We are, are, the eyes of sinful man can't look on the glorified Jesus. We can't look on God the Father. We can't look at Him. It reminds me of that movie, I Am Legend, when, when all the zombies were running around. I don't know if you remember that. But what, they couldn't handle sunlight. They saw sunlight. It burned them. They burned their eyes. burned them. We couldn't see it. That's what it did to them. And that's... We're all... Before we put our faith in Jesus and get transformed into human beings again, we are just like those zombies. And we, we can't handle seeing Jesus. We can't handle God. We can't handle His Word. That's what it does to us. But Jesus made a way. Through His blood on the cross, we can now come into God's presence. We can now... We, can, we don't have to fear God anymore. We don't have to fear Jesus anymore. We don't have to fear Him. We can now come into His presence spiritually now and in heaven someday, actually in person someday. But look what happened in verse 17. Let's look at what John did when he saw Jesus here. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. John fell on his face like a corpse. Like he was dead. Have you ever been that scared? Like just terror paralyzes you? I, I've seen farm animals get that scared. They just drop, you know. Uh, turkeys are... If you panic a turkey, uh, scared enough, you, you come riding up on a horse and there's a bunch of turkeys, they'll all just fall over on the ground. They, 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 they're terrorized. Uh, and that, that's what happens to John here. And now remember... He knew Jesus. John knew Jesus, the Apostle John. He was his closest friend on earth. And yet, when he still, when he sees him, he does a belly flop. That's the typical reaction to God's, uh, to, to deity when we see God all over the Bible. There's not this gentle, I'm going to fall on my back and just rest in you. No, when you see Jesus, you really see him, wham, on your face. That's what happens. Uh, now watch what Jesus does to help him. He reassures him. He's like, yeah, hey, I am the resurrected uh, Messiah. I am the resurrected Son of God. And, uh, and I am a lot scarier than I look uh, when you knew me on earth, except when you saw me in the transfiguration. I had my, my full glory there. <clears throat> but watch what Jesus does to help. He does the same thing for us today when we're fearful. What did he do here? It says he, uh, he, says he, uh, he placed his right hand on John. He touched him. Right hand touched him. Touch is very reassuring. 
That's what Jesus does to John and what he does to us. Touch is very reassuring. In fact, I have a picture here on the right-hand side, but I'm going to look over here. It's a picture um Laurel, who, who's three right now, almost four, when she gets scared at night, she likes to come in to our uh, bed and, and really to be with, with mom. She doesn't care about me. She wants to be with mom. She has to touch mom. She has to be right on top of her. In fact, you can see the picture right now. That one morning I woke up and I was laughing so hard. Here's Laurel you know, laying on top of Kim, you know, and she's all, every morning it's some, something like that. Sometimes she's on her head, sometimes she's on top of her, grabbing her, whatever. She always wants to be touching <clears throat> because when you're scared, she wakes up at night, she's scared, she wants to touch. <clears throat> we still make her sleep in her own little bed, but somehow she ends up in our bed. Now, we've never let this happen before, but what can I say? We're grandparents. <laughs> we've gotten soft, all right? But, but, <laughs> but that's touch is very important. But also, not only did Jesus touch him, but he talked to him. He talked to him. His voice, he said, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Voice is very reassuring. Sometimes when she's kicking around over there, I'll say, Laura, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. She's touching him, but I'm trying to say something to help calm her down. I don't wake up that much. But when I do, I say something. Uh, It's a gift, sleeping through. But anyway, I've had it with with all all the kids. Uh, uh, It's a gift. So, uh, most husbands have it. So, anyway, the, the, the voice is, 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 he says, don't be afraid. Where did John hear that before? He heard it before. Matthew fourteen twenty seven. Remember the storm and walking on the water and, and all different, the, the storm in the boat. Don't be afraid. Uh, he heard that before. <clears throat> Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. The most common command in the Bible is don't be afraid. 365 times in the Bible. What does that tell us? That it must be a big struggle for us, right? Get, being afraid is a big struggle. But notice that it is commanded. What does that tell us? If it's commanded, that means we must be able to obey it. We must be able to overcome fear. It's not a sin to feel fear. That's not a sin. God is a God-given emotion. There's many positives with having fear. If you're being chased by a bear, a bear starts to chase you, you should run. And being afraid gives you adrenaline and helps you run a lot faster. That's a good thing. It's a positive. But fear has a positive side, but it has a negative side. It's a sin if we allow it to paralyze us. If it keeps us from doing what needs to be done, then it's, it's not a positive. It's a negative. I remember, you ever been really afraid something traumatic happens? We all have something. I'm going to use something a little funny, but it gives you the idea. A lot of us have traumatic, fearful events that set us off in fear, but we can overcome it. Uh, I remember I was in kindergarten. I was in kindergarten, and I went to use the bathroom. And you remember, I don't know if you had this in kindergarten. We would go, we turned, there was a little light our height, and we'd turn it on. We'd go in, and, and we'd shut the door. And when that light was on, that means somebody was in there. And the teacher would know. There was someone, a little red light. teacher would know. And then there was a little window that only the teacher could look into to see that what's going on, if you're okay, who's in there, go in the bathroom, you need any help, any of that stuff. So I remember Mrs. Verratti <clears throat> was my teacher. Mrs. Verratti, I don't think she's teaching anymore, but I think she's still back in my home area. Miss Verratti. Miss Verratti. She's married now. I don't know what her married name is, but Miss Verratti was my teacher. And I remember <clears throat> going into the bathroom and I had my favorite shirt on. I wore my favorite shirt. It was like a checkered, you know, a checkered shirt that I really liked a lot. 
and had different colors. And I remember I went and went to the bathroom, finished going. I'm standing there, and I reach over and flush the toilet. Not just for kindergarten, little guy, right? I reach over and flush the toilet. The toilet starts flushing, and I and it's flushing, and it's going down, and I lost my balance, and I fell into the toilet. Now I don't know if you've ever fallen into a toilet before, but it's slippery. It's really, really slippery, and the water's whooshing, and, and it's coming up, and, and, and I could not, I couldn't get out of the toilet. I fell over, and my arms are in there, my one arm's in the hole, and my other arm's in there, and it's slippery. I couldn't get my arm out of the hole, and I couldn't get out of the toilet, and the water's come up, and I'm like, I'm going to drown in the toilet. I was panicking, right? And meanwhile, Miss Brody is like, a line is forming at the bathroom. She's like, what is what is that Chucky doing this time in there? So she comes out, and I'll never forget. I'm, I'm looking, please, Miss Brady, save me, Miss Brady, save me. I look up, and there was that window, and she looked, and I'll never forget it. She looks in, and she had these beautiful black eyes, Miss Brady, and I'll never forget. She boing, her eyes go boing, big giant eyes, like oh my goodness, I'm gonna be fired for this one. She comes running in. Pulls me out of the toilet before the water could drown me, and and gets me out, and and she's like, "What are you doing in the toilet?" She starts to yell at me, "What are you doing in the toilet?" Then she calmed down. She figured, "Oh, it must have been an accident." <laughs> she says, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" Yes, I'm okay. I'm soaking wet. She takes off my shirt. She takes my favorite shirt. I'll never forget it. She takes it out and puts it on the the the, the heat heater vent. The, the air is coming out. She put it on there to dry. And here I am walking around without a shirt in kindergarten. And I, I remember a couple of kids said to me, "Why why did you take your shirt off? Why aren't you wearing your shirt?" Well, I'm not going to tell. I fell in the toilet. I remember saying, "None of your business." I might have said beeswax, but I said, "None of your business." I mean, I really snapped out. I remember that. And I finally got my shirt dry. Went home and. Uh, my mom still, I tried to explain it to my mom, but she just couldn't understand. <laughs> but anyway, uh, anyway, guess what? I fell in the toilet. It was scary. It was traumatic. Scary. But guess what? The next time I had to go to the bathroom, guess what I did? I went back in that bathroom and I used it because I had to do it. And, and we, we are in the same place spiritually. We all have a choice. It's fearful. It's scary to do things spiritually that God has commanded us, a lot of it. But we have a choice. We can respond in fear or faith. In fear or faith. Faith is the opposite of fear. God commands us. We cannot let fear keep us from obeying what God has told us to do. Sharing our faith with someone is scary many times. We don't know how they're going to respond. What are they going to do? Especially in the USA today, right? What are they going to do? But we're commanded to do it. We're commanded to be that light. We're commanded to, to share the faith. Uh, speak the truth in love. We're commanded to do those things. And, but we can't let fear stop us. Now, Jesus goes on to give us a reason not to fear. And he gives us the foundation of our faith. Why we can live in faith and not fear. Why there's no fear. He says here in um, verse 17, when I saw my fellow see this little dead, then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. He says, I'm the first and the last. Back in verse 8, that was God the Father. That's deity, right? Jesus is God's divine Son. He's powerful. He's in control. He says He's the resurrected. The resurrection is proof Proof that he's in control and we can trust him. That's, that's what our whole faith is based on. The resurrected Jesus Christ. Resurrection Sunday. The difference between Christianity and every other religion is this. The one we pray to came back from the dead. Nobody else did. All the rest of them. Buddha, 
Mohammed, all the other guys, they're still dead. They're dead. But Jesus came back from the dead and that's the difference between us and every other religion, although we don't, we don't have a religion, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we, what do we fear most? What do people in this world fear most? Death. Death is the number one fear. But Jesus already conquered it. The rest is gravy. He already beat death. The rest is gravy. He says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. We don't have to fear death if we are a Christian. If we have put our faith in Jesus, we can't die until Jesus says it's time to die. It's impossible. We cannot die. We're, un, we're bulletproof until Jesus says it's time. And then he brings us home. And even when we do die, we don't stay dead. We don't stay dead because Jesus has the keys to death. He has the keys. The early church understood this perfectly. That's why when they were being butchered by the the Roman emperors, they were butchered. And I'll never forget, I can't remember which of the Christians wrote this, but I'll never forget, he wrote to the emperor and said, you can't kill us, but you can't hurt us. You can kill us, but you can't hurt us. Wow. And as we go into the end times and as we see the USA disintegrating and as we see we are moving into the end times spiritually, uh, the book of Revelation, living it out, we're seeing the contractions, the birth pains, the birth. God will give the grace. We don't have to be afraid. You, they, they'll be, they can hurt us, but they can't. I'm sorry. They can kill us, but they will not be able to hurt us. God will give us the grace no matter what we have to go through. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear Hades. Hades is, is another word for hell. We don't have to fear. Why? Because if we put our faith in Jesus and we are trusting in Him, we know we're not going to hell. We're going to heaven. There is no fear. And, and fear is the thing that scares us. But <clears throat> in Hebrews 2.14 it says... Turn to this one. In Hebrews 2.14, where it says, so that by his death, I'm going to try to do it by memory, so that by his death he might free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I'm going to look it up because I only remember part of it. Hebrews 4, I used to have them all at the tip of my tongue, but I'm almost 60, and you know what that does. Hebrews 4, I'm sorry, Hebrews 2.14 says this, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. I'm going to read that again. So that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Wow! And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We don't have to fear death or hell. We don't have to fear it. Satan had that power. He took the keys from Adam, but Jesus Christ, the second Adam, took him back. He took him back. What are you afraid of today? What are you afraid of? There's lots to be afraid of in the USA today. Coronavirus and everything that spawned the trials in our life. We fear end times as we approach them or maybe even in them. Lots to be afraid of, right? But will we look at it through fear or faith? What fear are you facing today? What fear are you facing today? You might be facing something terrible. You might have cancer. You might, be, you might have been given a death sentence from your doctor with cancer. But no matter what you are facing, your child might be going to die of drugs. 
You know, they're on drugs and you know it's just a matter of time you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You might be lost everything through the the, the the coronavirus and the shutdown. You might be in California and the fire may have destroyed everything you have. Saw a guy on the news who lost all of his, he had all these antique cars just burned up and just gone, poof. Guess what? It's going to happen to all of us someday. We're not going to be able to take it with us. only thing we take is our faith and the people we share our faith with. That's all we take with us. But you, you might have a lot to fear. What are you? But we can choose. No matter what we're facing, we can choose to live by faith. And faith allows us to see God's hand in everything. No matter what happens in our life or to us or around us, we know that God has a purpose. And it has to go through His love and His purpose to get to us. And we know that there's a reason we see with the eyes of faith. We see, what is God doing? What is He doing in the world? What is He doing in my life? What is He doing to, to get us moving into the book of Revelation to the end times? What is He doing? We see God's hand in everything when we see with the eyes of faith. We don't look at the, the problem and what's hurting us. We look to see what God is doing through that refiner's fire in our life. That is our focus. What are you facing today? Maybe you're here today and you, maybe you're listening to this today and you are uh, going through a lot and you're falling on your face and you're going through a, a lot of pain and struggle. You need God's touch. You feel like you just need God's touch. Jesus is right there, just like he was with John. He is right there, just like he was with the, uh, the apostles in the boat, just like he was during the storm, just like when he walked on the water. Jesus is right here. And all we have to do is ask God, Jesus, touch me. Reassure me. Give me the mercy and grace to face this challenge. To get all you want me to get out of it. Give me the mercy and grace to do that. That's the privilege that we have. The preparing us for heaven. That's what we have. Maybe you're hearing Jesus' house crazy because you can't do it. You've never put your faith in Jesus. But you can do that today. You, maybe you're sitting here listening to this thing and I still fear death. I still fear hell because you know that's where you're going. And you know death is, is going to be a horrible experience for you. But, but it doesn't have to. You can, it doesn't have to be. You can put your faith in Jesus right now. You can be set free of the fear of death right now. No matter what else you're going to face, you don't have to fear death after this. No, you can be set free of the fear of hell now. No matter what you go through in this life, you know you're going to be in heaven with Jesus someday. And He's preparing you for that. You can have that now. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right now, you can have eternal life. That starts the moment you give your life to Jesus and it goes out through all of eternity in heaven with Him. You can have, how? By believing in Him. The word believe, Greek, is the Greek word for faith. <clears throat> it means to completely put your trust in. And closely connected with that trust is repentance. We repent of sin and put our faith in Jesus simultaneously. We say, God, I repent of sin. I ask you to forgive the sin. I put my faith in Jesus. His death on that cross for me. His resurrection from the dead for me to give me a new life. I put my faith in Him. I believe He paid for my sin. I believe He washed it away by His blood. And I put my faith in Him. I repent and put my faith in Jesus. You can do that now and you will never have to fear another thing again. Ever. Ever. There will be plenty to be afraid of, but you will never have the same level of fear because you can live by faith in Jesus. Let's pray.
You've heard God's word. The sword. Has it convicted you or made you angry? If it's infuriated you, I, I, I feel sorry for you and I'm terrified for you. I pray that you will come to repentance. But if it has convicted you, if you're ready to put your faith in Jesus, you can do that now. Wherever you are hearing this, watching this, you can do it now. You don't need anybody to help you do it. It's between you and Jesus. The prayer of faith. Jesus, please forgive me. I repent of everything in my life that goes against your word or your purpose for my life. And I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I repent and put my faith in Jesus, my trust in Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. His death on that cross for me, His resurrection from the dead to give me a new life, I take hold of that. I trust in Jesus. I receive that gift. Father, I pray that every person hearing this would be sure of their salvation, sure they put their faith in You. I pray that, Father, that they put their faith in Your Son, Jesus. For those who have put our faith in Jesus, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe we've been living in fear. We've forgotten that we can live by faith. We've been living in fear. And every day we've got to change the channel from fear to faith. Every day. We've got to block that fear channel and just only have access to the faith channel. Every day looking, we'll go, what are you doing in my life? In our world? How are you refining me? Refiner's fire preparing me for heaven. Father, I pray that every one of us could see with the eyes of faith and live by that faith. Be transformed by your Son, Jesus, as we put our live by faith in Him. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's ever anything I can pray for you on, maybe you have a church or a Bible study or a group, people can pray for you. But if you need prayer, just email me, nhcc at comcast.net and I will have people praying for you and I'll be praying for you. But also, if you put your faith in Jesus, tell somebody. This isn't meant to be, you're a baby now, you're a brand new baby Christian. You gotta, you, you can, babies don't survive on their own. They need, they need the body of Christ. They need spiritual parents. You gotta tell somebody. Maybe you have a Christian friend or family member, parents, or, um, you have a church local, a really good local church, Bible believing, gospel preaching church. Uh, if you're not sure, call them and ask them if they are. <laughs> or email, email me, uh, let, let me know and I will help you get connected to a good church. You need to be connected to a, a, a Christians that will help you grow. Once again, nhcc at comcast.net. God bless. Next time, Revelation 2.